Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, September 28th. Of course, a good Yom Tov to all of my fellow Jews out there as we enjoyed this Yom Kippur Monday. And I will say this, after the day has transpired, I am hungry for anything but good tennis. I got my filling and then some. It was a wonderful day of matches. Five five setters on the men's side, five three setters on the women's side, seeds going down throughout the day. Exactly what you want from your first round at a Grand Slam event. Joining me today on the podcast to break down all of the action, recap our favorite matches, talk about what we expect to see on day three tomorrow. You, of course, know him as our Crack Rackets do everything. A former Denison men's tennis grade and the only undefeated high school tennis coach in Missouri athletics history, James Foster McDonald. Jamie, how are you doing today? How have you enjoyed these first two uh, days of first round action? Look, it's been good. Um, you know, hey, it's been entertaining at the least. It's been ugly at many points. I won't lie. I won't sugarcoat anything, but excited to be on here with you and uh, setting the tone for the rest of the week. Yeah, of course. Now, no one is going to be surprised to hear this next uh, sentence, but of course, I need to get my ego bathed. So what did you think about the hungry for anything but good tennis? I think that's the title today. Yeah, I mean, good for you. I I won't knock you if you put that one. (laughs) And regardless, no matter what I say, you'll still want to put that. So go go right ahead. (laughs) All right, we'll leave that there then. Yeah, absolutely. It was a really fun day for uh, for tennis. I mean, my brain is a little bit loopy. I won't lie. It's 7.01 p.m. right now on the East Coast. I have yet to take my first bite on the day, but I was treated again to some delicious, delicious results throughout the day. What we are going to be doing, as we always do here when we recap these days at Slams on this mini break podcast, is we're going to break down our two favorite matches on the day, one men's, one women's. We're going to talk about all of the upsets, what shocked us, what didn't. Of course, we'll give our thoughts on the conditions as well because they really do seem to be such a big factor in these results we're seeing. We'll run through the rest of the day's action, talk about which top seeds look their best, and then we'll preview all of Tuesday's matches as well, or at least our favorite ones on the day. But Jamie, let's start with our match breakdowns. And again, there were so many good matches. really could have picked from a bunch of them. We could have just gone with, you know, a two-hour podcast on the entire of that Courtney Mute Lorenzo Giustino match, 18-16 in the fifth set. That match felt like it was just never going to end. Breaks of serve left and right. That is not going to be one of our breakdowns, but we are going to start with a match that was taken to overtime. A match on the women's side. A player who I had circled as someone I legitimately thought, and in fact, I predicted to make the finals of this event. She was a semifinalist in Rome, a former champion here, finalist at the Australian Open early earlier this year. Of course, I'm talking about number 11 seed Garbine Muguruza, who got everything she could have asked for and more today in her match against Tamara Zidanezic. Uh, in this one, Muguruza comes back from an early three-love deficit in the first set to take it 7-5. Also finds herself down a three-love deficit in the third set, nevertheless is able to bounce back to secure a 7-5-4-6-8-6 victory, avoid the early upset, and advance to the second round. Jamie, your thoughts on Muguruza's survival today? Because really, in my opinion, that's what it was. Yeah, it was a survival. Um, And, you know, when I mentioned not the cleanest or the prettiest tennis, this is it, right? There were over 100 unforced errors in this three-set match. Um, And, yeah, look, even maybe there are a few more because that third set does go to 8-6. But still, just so many missed balls. And, you know, you and I both had Muguruza going deep into this tournament. And so... Look, seeing a performance like this, it's good and it's bad, right? It's bad in terms of tennis sometimes. It's good in the fact that we see her fight. We see we see that champion come through. Um, and so sometimes it takes sort of a rough first round to really set things up for a good tournament. So I'm not terribly discouraged. I would say if I were to be concerned about one thing, it would just be the conditions and how these courts are playing for somebody who plays like a Garbin Muguruza. Uh, but overall, just an up and down match and good for her for getting through it. That's a really good point, and I want you to hold on to that for a second. I just want to quickly talk about the Zidancic side because she was spectacular in this match, and I tweeted this out, but there's something about her 
she's just a springy athlete. Everything she does is explosive, whether it's on the forehand wing, and she did a really good job in this match of moving her forehand around the court, of mixing in slice, getting the ball out of Muguruza's strike zone, and, you know, it was really impressive, and for Zdancic, who I believe right now in the rankings, sitting uh, around the at the top 75, I think she's at number 71 right now, or near there. You know, Clay has been her best surface in terms of singles. It's where she's made the finals of her three biggest events, two 125 5K titles for her. She lost in the international in Germany final last year in three to Putin Seva. And I mean, she looked exact. She looked the part of someone whose best surface is clay court. Uh, she just looked comfortable sliding around the court. She was absolutely someone who slides into her shots, doesn't slide out of them. And she was not afraid of the moment either. She was taking it to Muguruza through really set halfway through set three, but to Garbine Muguruza's credit, who you mentioned, Jamie, these conditions do not suit her at all. I don't know if it's possible to hit a winner on these courts. Like, they come so few and far between. It's just so difficult to get any depth, to get any pace, and, you know, these clay courts are a little bit damp because it's been, you know, I don't want to say it's been moist. That's a weird, hey, great shot to me, but, you know, it's been rainy. It's been not the nicest conditions. It's fall weather in Paris, and as two people who grew up in the Midwest, Jamie, we probably appreciate this weather more than anything. We're like, yeah, Gael Monfils, how do your lungs feel now? You've never played a 50-degree match that goes three hours. I have. It's freaking brutal. Um, But for Muguruza... It was just the way, and she's done this in the past, and this is why she's one of the great champions over the past five years. She just swings through her problems. She's going to go down on her terms, and she hit, I think it was at 30-40, and then at uh, add-in at the Love 3 game in the third set to hold for 1-3. She hit this backhand down the line at 30-40, and then she hits another big backhand down the line after a long rally on add-in to get that first game on the board, and she just kind of, you know, again, she swung through it all, because you look at the stats in this match, Jamie, for Muguruza, the fact that, as you mentioned, she committed, what was it, uh, I think 64 unforced errors and still managed mm-hmm. to win. Absolutely a victory that she escaped with this one. Yeah, I mean, when you come out that far below in the winner to unforced air differential, I mean, it's insane, right? Minus she had 64. 22. Yeah, she had 64 unforced errors, 45 on the other side. I mean... Again, there were a lot of misses in this match. I've I've already said that, so I don't need to dwell on that point. And this really just was a mental battle. Who was going to get through this match? And as you mentioned, the great champion of the last few years that we know, Muguruza, um, I mean, she gets through this match. And I think, again, it's one that she has under her belt. She knows that it wasn't great tennis, but at this point, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, a number that I find interesting, 15 of 42 for her, Jamie, at the net. I mean... At 36% conversion rate, that's obviously not great, but I think that's misleading because, A, how many swinging volleys or just easy putaways did she end up yanking either a little bit longer, a little bit wide, and B, I think that was a testament to even amidst the error, she kept putting pressure on Zidancic, and you couldn't let Zidancic tee off because it was so clear how comfortable she was hitting that forehand, getting Muguruza stretched on the clay, and, you know, when things went chaotic, that was when Zidancic was at her best, but look, Look, if you're going to make a run at a Grand Slam 99.9% of the time, if your name is not Rafael Nadal at Roland Garros, that's really the only exception, you're going to play a bad match. You're going to have a match where things are going against you. The people who emerge as champions are the people who can figure their way out, you know, solve, uh, find a solution, solve their way out of those situations and advance to the next round. And in my opinion, that's what Muguruza did today. Yeah, she gets through it. Again, you said it right at the beginning. She survives. The the last thing I would say on this match, and look, it's one of those things where you look at it and you're looking at the stats and you're like, wow, this match really could have gone one of a million ways. I mean, there were 13 breaks in this match and 41 breakpoint opportunities. That is insane. That, that is insane, especially for a three-set match. That is just so many chances for an opponent to break someone's serve. Um, and I know, obviously, that's a testament to the conditions um, and, and how mental this game or this match, excuse me, was. But holy crap, over 40 break points in a three-set match, that is just obscene. 
Yeah, and to people who want to say, well, they did play the two bonus games. There was no tiebreaker. It was only two bonus games, and there yeah. were still 41 <laughs> break chances. Like, it's not like this was an Isner Mahout thing where they're playing six more sets worth of tennis. This was literally, I agree with you, that was the number that stood out. And what that screams to me, and let's do a quick tangent here as opposed to any one match specifically. What do you think about these conditions? I asked Dekoyak this question yesterday. As someone who, again, I just think we both grew up in this, we're familiar with this sticky environment, what it's like to play a match at 55 degrees where you feel like you can't hit a ball through the court no matter how hard you try. What have you thought about these conditions and how big of a factor do you think they've actually played in the results we've seen? Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's a big factor. Um, I think there's both positives and negatives from it. For me, the biggest positive I would take away is the fact that it makes these matches just so much more mental, right? You're going to see the mental toughness shine through. Um, And if somebody's mentally weak and not able to get back on that horse and fight, they're going to lose. And so obviously a negative here is just generally speaking, the level of play is just down. It, it just is. Um, and so obviously that's unfortunate for the viewer in some sense. You're not going to see some of the same sensational tennis that we have seen at Roland Garros in years past. Um, but look, it is what it is. And so I kind of like this. You mentioned it. We both grew up playing in this sort of thing. And God, do I hate going out there. It's cold. The ball hurts. My God, my arm hurts so bad when you try to swing through it. But I also love playing in this, not only just because I play like an absolute hack, but also it becomes just complete chess out there, right? Who's going to give in? What creative stuff are you going to be able to pull off? How hard are you going to work to win the ugly points, the broken points? And so to me, that's what makes this really exciting. No, a shank, uh, when it's cold weather, will kill your hand. You're going to be like, ouch, like, why did I do that? And these players, obviously, when they're shanking the ball, it is a spectacular shank, so it hurts that much more. Yeah, I mean, look, some of the scenery itself, uh, fall weather in Paris, the early sunset, it's beautiful. Some of the scenery uh, has been spectacular, and there's just something to playing, uh, again, the... Uh, the unfamiliarness of this moment that's the word I was looking for that's absolutely de- enjoyable from an aesthetic uh, perspective and I think the good matches the ones like well, we've talked about this Muguruza Zidanzic match or Hercot Sandgren which we'll talk about or Struff Tiafo, the good matches have been that much better because you're right there has been some very very sloppy tennis there has also been matches where it's just clear both players are like alright I don't think I can hit a winner today I guess I just have to grind and it's led to long points and everything you expect out of clay court tennis so my the only thing I would add is the conditions have been a factor they're not the factor more often than not the players who are playing better and I know that sounds very simple but you know the better players are winning these matches and I I, you know the and the you know the conditions are a factor but they're not the factor if that makes sense I think that's fair. I think, but look, even if you go to a much, much, much lower level, like we, you know, what we played in the juniors, think about how, you know, weather like this and wind was such an equalizer, right? You saw a match like this, and if you were an underdog going in, you started to feel good because, you know, you throw a ball up in that wind, you get in somebody's head, you don't know what can happen. And so, I I don't know, I, I think... I probably put a little bit more stock and a little bit more weight into it than perhaps you do based on what you're saying, but regardless you got to get through it. Everybody's playing in the same conditions, right? Um, So the person across from the net is facing the exact same things that you are. And so, again, that's why it kind of adds a little element for me. But, again, unfortunate. I don't think we're going to see the highest level of tennis throughout the entire tournament. Maccabi Games 2011. No, yeah, 2011 because I was 15. We went to Israel that year for them, and it was the first, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's quarterfinal round. I'm playing the number one seed, and this kid, everyone's like, oh, he just got back from the clay courts where he'd won like four matches. And I was like, okay, but this is Maccabi tennis. Like, come on, this is not the clay courts. And we're playing in Jerusalem, and it is just the windiest day in the world. Did you see that humble brag of we were playing in Jerusalem? Anyways, we're playing in Jerusalem, and it's just the windiest day in the world and this kid which came from a story he just had never played in wind before and it threw off everything he did and again if you play fall tennis in the midwest you're gonna have a day where you're like okay so nothing's going straight that's cool oh okay i can't actually hit the ball if i slice it it's going six feet out and so you just get used to those conditions and you know again if you're someone who trains in florida or you're someone who just trains in you know australia or you know these countries where it's or you know southern hemisphere countries where it's warmer or just closer to the equator spots. It's you're not accustomed to these conditions and it does absolutely play a factor. 
I think we have a new segment called Geography with Gruskin, and you just talk <laughs> about random places. But anyway, yes, very yeah. interesting. Nonetheless, we'll see how it plays out throughout the next couple of weeks. Again, I'm really excited for it. I think it makes the mental battle that much that much greater. Oh, West off, leave it all in. Leave it all in. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and someone asked this on Twitter to put a bow on the Muguruza match. Early struggle like this, better for her long term or more concerning in the immediate? Uh, in a match like this, not concerning. Um, I think it's one of those where it gives you a bit of confidence to say, wow, I hit 64 on four stairs and I can get through this. What can't I do, right? That's sort of how I take it at this point. Yeah. God, now I'm just locked in. What would be my next geography take segment? That was literally what I spent that Let's wait until tomorrow, okay? Come on. Yeah, okay. Well, then in terms of geography, we'll keep it closer to home. We'll stick with the tennis. The next match I want to talk about, the tennis himself. Tennis Sandgren, an incredible five-set victory for him over Hubi Hercots. And, of course, Hubi, a guy who we circle as someone who was awfully dangerous coming into this one. Hercots, uh, a seeded player at this event, the number 29 seed. Uh, a guy who had had a little bit of success on the clay the week before. Uh, but Tennis Sandgren is as tough of an out physically as you're going to find in a three-out-of-five-set match. And that's exactly that strength of his manifested itself today. Sandgren taking a 7-5-2-6-4-6-7-6, a 11-9 victory over Hercots in overtime. Sometimes, you know, again, I referred to it earlier, the Moutet-Giacino match, that was a match that just needed to end. That was a match that neither player, it seemed like, and I don't want to say neither wanted to win, but neither was capable of getting over the finish line. Both of these players in this match, Jamie, it was just exceptional tennis from start to finish. Yeah, look, this one lived up to what we expected. I know I saw you tweet something out as well. You, me, and Stokowiak all looked and circled this match as the first-round match to watch. And uh, look, it lived up to the hype, right? Um, You know, this is some of the highest-level tennis I think I saw out of this first round, especially today. Um, Granted, I potentially have a bit of bias because I definitely watched the most of this one um, because (laughs) it was so captivating. There's Uh, also so much of it. Yeah, I mean, right, yeah, I could watch this basically all day. At some point it was on, right? Um, no, I mean, I think it was it was a really strong performance from Tennis Sandgren for him to get through something like this. Also, again, we go back to it, but in these conditions, being able to come out positive and the winners to unforced error ratio, phenomenal for him. Um, I think bodes really well for the rest of the tournament for Tennis Sandgren. Yeah, and I will say this. There were times when Tennis Sandgren, as is sometimes his Achilles heel, uh, the forehand sat up a little bit, or the backhand sat up a little bit. And against Hubi Hercot, six foot five, six foot six, the definition of the modern player who's going to use his length, going to use his you know flexibility and just move maneuver around the court to take balls early to put you as his opponent in uncomfortable positions. But I mean, Tennis Sandgren just he moves so well, Jamie. He covers every. Everything. He doesn't quit on a ball. He uses exceptional variety. He's great on the run. He can be six feet behind the baseline, but turn defense into offense. And I think sneaky effective first serve in this match made 60% of them won 66% of those points he just plays high percentage tennis and look he gets mad at himself his body language during matches not always the best but it to me it's in the Andy Murray brand of he's getting mad at himself because he expects 110% at all times and I just think that mentality has served him so well these past really what two years on tour as he's made his ascension not only into the top 100 but even higher there's just in terms of a floor performance you're always going to get minimum good from tennis sandgren and it's just so impressive yeah look you love the effort um, you love the scrambling you love the fire and the passion and and sometimes that manifests itself in the yelling negative or positive Um, but look it is what it is he's a competitor and you got to respect that spirit regardless and um, again getting through a match like this now her catch yes missed a lot of balls Um, granted you play a match like this you're going to have a lot of unforced errors he hit 77 unforced errors which just I mean regardless of what happens feels like a lot right (laughs) saying that number hurts Mm me Um, but look tennis Sandgren deserves to win this match funny enough like comes out in the total points won six points underneath Hubie Hercatch but it is what it is tennis is weird scoring right so Sandgren goes through and lives to fight another day 
No, Hercots had two match points in that uh, set on, I believe it was the 7-8 game on the tennis mm-hmm. Sandgren serve, and Sandgren was able to dig himself out of it. Now, there were times earlier in the third, in the fifth set, excuse me, where Sandgren was up breaks on multiple occasions. I believe he was up a break 3-2. Hercots got it back. Sandgren broke right away. Hercots got that break back right away. And, you know, in this match, 13 breaks of serve in a match that did go to a significant period of overtime. There were a lot of holds, and that's a testament to tennis Sandgren, who not only only won 66% of his first serve points, but 55% of his second serve points as well. And we talk about his uh, ability as a defender. He went 42 of 68 at the net in this match, Jamie, 62%. He understood, look, there are times when Hercots is going to throw in a slice or try some funky angle when he's very, very, very far behind the baseline and just not in the right court position. And Sandgren is so good at identifying those moments, using his quickness to sneak forward. And whether it's a swinging volley or even, you know, a first volley like you're serving and volleying just to the open court but taking time away from Hoobie, that shot is that much more effective when you're playing on clay, and he did a really good job of that. So to your point, he absolutely deserved this win. Now, I just want to quickly do the flip side for Hoobie because 66 winners against 77 unforced errors, you're right. That's not great, although that's a testament to the amount of pressure Sandgren was putting on her cats just by making that extra ball. But you look for Hoobie in this match, uh, made 62% of his first serves, won 70% of those points, 51% of those second serve points, 31 of 44 at the net. I know he lost this match, but when I watch Hoobie Hercots, when I watch Sasha Bublik, when I watch Alex Virev, Karen Hatchinov, Daniil Medvedev, the way these young guys move, the way they are able to just combine their length, again, with speed, with flexibility, and just fluidity— it's ridiculous. Like, if this is the future of tennis, that we're going to have 30 Hubie Hercotses in the top 50, sign me up for that right now. Yeah, it's it, look, it's a it's a lot of fun to watch, and it's a really fun brand of tennis. Um, and, and look, yeah, look, let's give him all the credit that's due, because he had this match to take, right? I mean, a ten, tennis Sandgren ultimately wrestles it away from him, but her catch had his chances. Absolutely. You mentioned the match points, the momentum swings. He's right there in this match, and sure, he's kicking himself, but at the end of the day, yeah, besides the fact that there's a lot of unforced errors on the stat sheet— that doesn't necessarily tell everything. He still played well um, in a lot of big moments. He, look, he converted seven of 14 break points. That's pretty solid. Um, and so, look, I- I'm not too discouraged by this loss from her catch. We saw this when this came out in the draw. We knew this was going to be an absolute battle in the first round. I, I don't feel any anything too negative about this loss for him yeah the only problem six all seven all eight all he was the guy getting into Sandgren's service games and you could just feel that the fact that he didn't get over the hump in any of those and Sandgren could have played another best of five set match as soon as this one ended guys as fit as you're going to find on the tour uh it definitely you know again Hubi was very close and we've seen this now from him at slams a couple of times but just can't find himself you know can't get over the hump to put himself in a position to make a second week yet and I still think for him it's a matter of again, and I think you'd agree, it's when, not if, because I thought this was a really good performance from him ultimately. Uh, but too good from Tennis Sangren, who pulls off the upset here. And for Sangren, he was one of many upsets on the day, Jamie. You look across the board. We had six upsets on the women's side. I want to run us through those now, uh, talk about the ones that maybe surprised us the most. Here are the seeds who got knocked out today, Jamie. Madison Keys, Marketa Vandrusova, and Angelique Kerber, Karolina Mukova, Svetlana Kuznetsova, and Magda Lynette. Six seeds uh, all knocked out on the day. Two of those matches, three sets, the other in straights. Which, if any of them, Jamie, surprised you? Honestly, we did really well here. These are hey, all great ones that shot. we looked at and said, these people are in trouble. So, look, yeah, hey, great shot to us. Congrats. Um, I mean, I think for me, probably Mukova just going out the way she did, um, going out two and four. You know, hey, look, Mikhail plays a really good match here. Mukova, I think I expect a little bit more of, especially on these conditions, maybe sits in and just digs in and grinds a bit. But I, I guess I would pick that one. Maybe the Kerber match as well. I mean, obviously Kerber nowhere near what she was. Um, but to, again, to go out three and three like that, just a little bit disappointing in that regard. Yeah, for me, the ones that stand out, uh, 
I think Madison Keys actually played a really good match. And, you know, Zhang Shui, who was her opponent, who's right around the top 40, I mean, that's about as tough of a first-round opponent as you can get. Uh, Madison Keys had chances. There were no breaks of serve in that second set. Madison Keys was rock solid, or maybe there was one, but the problem for her was just she didn't make enough first serves in this match. When she was able to make the first serve or get a look at a Zhang uh, second serve, uh, she was able to take control of points, and she looked like Madison Keys. The problem is when she was hitting her second server. Zhang was able to make the first serve. It was the exact opposite. And so I thought that match was an either or. I know it's an upset on the paper, but, you know, Zhang Shui, someone who had played well in the clay events leading up to this, it was one we circled, as you mentioned. Uh, ditto for Pavlochenkova and Fernandez. We knew both of those matches probably going to go three sets. And in fact, that's exactly what happened that Pavlochenkov and Fernandez were able to take the third set. Leila Fernandez, by the way, almost blew, I think, a 5-1 lead in the third there, but credit to her for getting over the hump. Neither of those surprised me. You mentioned it for Kerber and Mukova, so I I agree with what you said. (laughs) We're touching them all here. The one that shocked me, for Marketa Vondrusova, who made the semifinals in Rome, who made the finals here in Paris last year, it was a dangerous matchup with Iga Sviatek, and Sviatek played very, very well in this match, and that's probably the bigger story, but... With all of the tools uh, Marketa Vandrusova has in her toolbox, she just should never lose a match one and two because she can hurt an opponent in too many ways. And it's like, okay, if A's not working, I'll go to B. If A and B aren't working, I'll go to C. And I don't know. The fact that none of it worked, is that just a testament to Sviatek? I mean, I think so. Look, we won't give her all of the credit. I mean, look, great for her for getting through a match like this. But yeah, I mean, Vondrusova should not lose a match this badly. She should be able to come up with a better result than losing one and two in the first round of a major. Um, Look, she had some break points that she didn't convert. um, But... Shratek had way more break points. She goes five of nine. And again, we're not going to go into the breakdown here. Um, Vondrusova has three break points, only converts one. I don't know. This one was a pretty clean result. And Vondrusova, yes, there was a lot she could have done, but ultimately she just got outplayed. Yeah, I thought the biggest difference, it's funny how sometimes it comes down to the littlest things. It was the serve, right? Marketa Vondrusova just could not land a first serve in this match, and Sviatek was just teeing off on returns as well. And, you know, to Sviatek's credit, 64% of her first goes in, uh, first serves go in, but even more impressively, she's 13 of 17, Jamie, on second serve points. That's a 76, uh, 76 hey, great shot to me, uh, percent conversion percentage. And honestly, that's just awfully, awfully good. So credit to Sviatek. But yeah, to the first thing you said, not to pat ourselves on the back. And if I was smart, I would have made one of these picks my formal pick for ace of the day, although we did hit the Pavlochenkova-Kuznetsova over by half a game. But I'm not surprised because these were all dangerous matchups, as you said. These were all pick'ems, as so many of these matches at the WTA Tour level right now are. Uh, But yeah, I, I guess the fact, the sheer number that six of them got over the hump, that does feel a little bit high, and we're up to 10 upsets now through the first two days of the first round. Uh, But at the same time, these are all matchups we circled, as you mentioned. So we knew they were going to be close, that the unseeded player pulled them off. Not that surprising in the end. On the men's side... I don't want to do this again because I'm just setting myself up to jinx our aces of the day. But hey, great shot to you, Jamie. We circled Sasha Bublik against Gael Monfils. We said that quarter is going to open up quickly if Monfils can't get by Bublik. And that's exactly what happened. Bublik gets the first top 10 win of his career. He knocks off Monfils in four. We said Nishioka FAA. Dangerous. Nishioka wins that match in straights. Fabio Fonini not playing his best tennis coming into this event. Mikhail Kokushkin knocks him off in four sets. Martin Fucevic, who we've seen have so much success at the majors. He knocks off Daniil Medvedev in a nightcap in four sets. We also had Krajinovic knocked off by qualifier Milojevic uh, in a first-round four-set battle as well. Jamie, any of which one of those stands out to you as maybe the most surprising? Yeah, I mean, I think you got to start with the most jarring in Fucevic over Medvedev. Um, you know, I pictured this match being a Medvedev win. Maybe Fucevic squeaks out a third set, um, and then Medvedev wins in four. That's that's sort of the closest as I saw this match going. But wow, um, you know, especially in these conditions, we would think Medvedev, being the the gamesman that he is, being able to sit back and grind, but then also impose his game at you know the flip of a switch. 
I really thought the conditions were going to be great for his sort of game. Um, so this one was a huge surprise to me, and especially the way he went out in that fourth, just went down um, with without a real fight. They're losing at 6-1 down to Fucevic. Look, this is a really, really poor result for Daniil Medvedev. Yeah, I think the scoreline makes it seem more lopsided than it was towards the end. Like, you know, it was a couple break points here and there, and there were so many deuce games as there always seemed to be with Medvedev. And he really could have been up two sets to love after those first two sets. They were both toss-ups, but it's a credit to Fucevic who just continued to attack. And we've talked about these conditions, the heaviness of the surface, how difficult it is to get a ball through these courts. That's always going to be tough for Daniil Medvedev, even if he's on a hard court, even if he's on a grass court. And I just think that even, you know, the his, I don't want to say his inability. Well, yeah, I guess his inability, the ineffectiveness of his forehand down the line, his backhand down the line, even his drop shots just felt like they were sitting up a little bit today. It's a credit to Fucevic who just played a really high percentage match, who kept attacking, who put Medvedev under pressure, who got Medvedev stretched. But, you know, yeah, it, this is a concerning loss for Daniil Medvedev because this was just a match it felt like he could have won. Fucevic was wasn't blowing him off the court. This wasn't Fucevic treeing by any means, right? This wasn't like a lower-seeded player having his best day. This was just a solid performance from Fucevic, and solid was good enough to beat Daniil today. Yeah, which is just so weird to hear, right? So because weird. when you think like when you think about Daniil Medvedev, he's the guy who can just be so solid and do anything, right? And so again, it gets back to my point where I really thought that these conditions did well for him. Yeah, obviously it makes it harder to hit through the court, but that makes it that much harder for an opponent to hit through him. And as we know, so scrappy and able to scramble with the best of them, he's already nearly impossible to hit through on a court. I mean it was just it was just very very surprising but i mean look again we won't go into the stats of this one but he hit close to double the amount of unforced errors that he did winners so not a clean performance from him solid performance from Fucevic good enough to get across the line and yeah just unfortunate to see Medvedev go out this way no you know just let's quickly dive into the stats not a full breakdown but for Daniil Medvedev if I would have told you he made 60% of his first serves won 64% of those points and I would have told you Fucevic only made 55% of his first serves and won 69% of his first serve points you'd be like oh this match was probably a toss-up right and so this scoreline, again, it's it just feels a little bit misleading to me because you look at the total points, it was 128 for Fucevic, 118 for Medvedev. He came a lot closer to winning this match, I think, than, uh, than he is going to receive credit for in the end. But yeah, it was just, it was weird. It just, it, it felt like his ball just, he could not get a ball by Fucevic. Yeah, it was, it was uncomfortable to watch. And again, look, a guy, Medvedev, we're going to see a lot of this guy. And so there's going to be performances like this one. And you mentioned it. It is closer than the, store, the than the scoreline reflects. I think that's a fair assessment. But regardless, unfortunate to see him not be able to at least claw his way back in terms of games in set number four. Yeah, no, I, that one felt like it was going to go the distance. And I was definitely disappointed that it did not, particularly after set number three. Uh, to the other ones quickly, you know, for Milojevic, I just think that's a guy who was playing hot, who was accustomed to these surfaces, these conditions after playing qualifying. He caught Krajinovic on just, you know, the right day. Um, the one that really jumps out to me, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Sasha Bublik is just Nick Kyrgios with worst press. I mean, he hits an on-the-run between-the-legs lob winner today over the guy who invented that shot in Gael Monfils. The big serve, the drop shots, just keeping Monfils on off rhythm. He did all of that throughout this match. But best of all, when it felt like Monfils was going to come back after he sort of asserted control in that uh, third set to take it 6-3, it was 3-all through the fourth, and he was looking comfortable. Uh -uh Uh-uh-uh. It was Sasha Bublik who only needed one break of serve to get the job done. If he can ever rein in his shot selection, Jamie, Sasha Bublik has the talent of a top 20 player. I'm not saying he's going to get there because that requires a lot of week-in, week-out consistency, but he's got the talent now. That's clear. Yeah, and, and I think I think he will. Uh, matches like this give me a lot of confidence in a statement like that. I think he will. Not only does he have the talent, but he shows that he can lock in, regardless of what he might say and do off the court. Um, you know, even if he puts together decent stretches um, of what we know he's capable of throughout the season, that'll boost him up in the ranks high enough. So, I, look, Sasha Blulik, a really interesting guy to watch and really proved us correct on why this was going to be such a dicey matchup for Gael Monfils. I am penciling him in right now of winning 
I will say in the 2020s, he's going to win six different Newport titles on the grass, if, assuming the tournament hopefully comes back. I just feel like that post-Wimbledon event, he's going to lose first week of Wimbledon, and he's just going to go back and clean up. It's, he's going to take the John Isner spot of winning Newport and winning Atlanta every year. All right, we'll hold you to it. Am I wrong? It, like five? I'm I mean, expecting look, it, five at both of those events. Five titles. Minimum. It all adds. It all adds up. It all adds up. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to go after your theory there because it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> all right, I will take it. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the other upsets, do we want to say anything on FAA? The Fonini one doesn't shock us at all. I don't want to spend even twelve seconds on that match. But for the FAA, I don't know. What did you think of that? Straight sets is concerning. Yeah, that's the that's really the surprise here. Again, you go back to conditions. Nishioka obviously making it so hard um, for someone to be able to hit through him, um, and especially on conditions like this and on these courts, it's going to make it that much more difficult. But yes, disappointing that FAA doesn't at least grab a set here. Um, and it's not to say that he didn't have chances to, especially in set number one. You know, you, you wonder how this match breaks um, if Nishioka doesn't grab it seven five. But regardless, uh, yeah, again, disappointing for the young Canadian here. I just really thought that given that how difficult it is to hit through these courts that FA would be the one guy who's like, well, that forehand can hit through anything. And that just, it wasn't the case today. I mean, Nishioka just asked, you know, kept asking the basic questions of FA, getting him stretched, throwing junk at him, whether it's six feet, uh, you know, or six feet over the chair umpire's chair or whatever it may be in terms of elevation and angle and spin. But yeah, again, what is plan B for FAA when things go wrong? The athleticism's there. He can play defense if he wants to. He just needs to get a little bit more comfortable with it. But nevertheless, it's a really good win for Nishioka. And again, a match we had circled as one we thought would be close. We did not expect Nishioka to do it in straights, but we knew he was capable of that victory. Uh, but those were all of the upsets on the day. And again, just a reminder for all of you, through the first two days of the first round, nine seeds eliminated on the women's side, 10 seeds eliminated on the men's side so far. But we had a ton of other great matches, a bunch of top seeds looking awfully good on the women's side. Let's talk about the rest of those results now, Jamie. You look at the three-set battles. It was really two different matches. Kiki Burton's dropping the first set 6-2 against Zavatska before taking the next two sets 6-2-6 six, six, love she mentioned in the post-match conference she realized halfway through that first set she was like oh okay I can't hit a winner on this court that's cool I'm just gonna grind and I think that mentality was reflected in her performance in set two and three but you look at some of the other winners on the day Svitolina a little bit of trouble but she found her footing against Gracheva. straight set win for her straight set wins for Serena Kvitova and Anisimova as well your thoughts on those seated performances yeah, I think the one that I would start with at least is Burton's, um, somebody that you and I, we both raised questions about her level. Um, and after seeing that first set, I was like, and uh-oh, there goes the five seed. Um, so really good of her of her to right the ship and get that thing done in a very convincing fashion, only dropping two games in sets two and three combined. So that's a really promising one for her. I think that's this is exactly one of the results that you see really where they need to get their footing in a first round match. And then they're going to look good throughout the rest of the tournament. Now, do I think she's going to make the deepest of runs? No, absolutely not. Um, she might not even get through a couple more matches. But regardless, I think this was a really big one for her confidence because, you know, if she loses this one, then those question marks kind of become exclamation points about her level. You right absolutely nailed it. I agree with you. What I've liked so much in the struggles that we've seen in early sets from Halep, from Burton's, from Svitolina, from Serena, even against Christian, from Kvitova early on, is just the way they've bounced back, the way they've righted the ship. Because again, you're going to face adversity over the course of two weeks if you want to make a deep run at a Grand Slam event. And all of these top seeds have faced early adversity, but they've gotten things under control pretty quickly. Now, Muguruza doesn't fall under that category, but for her, it's a different category of to be so close to elimination and fight it off. That's a complete different sense of relief. For Burton's, you're, you're absolutely right. It was two different stories, and to see her adjust that way, uh, it means she's here to battle. And certainly that is a tough—she's uh, going to be a tough out for whomever she faces across the net. In terms of the other winners on the way—by the way, that we didn't mention it, but Amanda Nisimova was outstanding today in her 2-0 win. Some other notable winners on the day in straight sets. Actually, we can just go through them quick. Quickly, Para, Paulini, Parankova, C, Zarazua, Arani, Sinyakova, Cornet, Teague, Pliskova, and Herzog. Any of those matches, those performers jump out to you, Jamie, in particular as someone who you saw them play, and you're like, you know what? Just put a flyer on them to maybe make the second week. 
I don't know about a flyer, but I got to give credit to my grinders, Arani and Cornet. Just keep playing <laughs> that game. I uh, I can't I can't say it enough. So mm, just beautiful to see, especially in these conditions. Make them miserable. Oh, I love it. Yeah, no, I, I feel like this, again, these conditions fall in France tailor-made for Alizé Cornet. If she's going to end her streak, get to a quarterfinal in her career at a Grand Slam, I feel like this is going to be the event where it happens. And again, with all of the upsets going on, I'm trying to find Cornet in the draw. It's always tough. It's like, where are uh, all these players? But you look for Alizé Cornet where she is at. She is going to face Shui Zhang now after Madison Keys gets knocked out. So that draw has opened up for her a little bit. And and if she advances to that, she wouldn't have to face a seed till the fourth round because the other seed in her section, Angelique Kerber, also knocked out today. So I agree with you. That was someone I was going to turn to as well. She looked really, really good today. I also just continue to think, I'm telling you, on the right day in these conditions, Polona Herzog, with just how choppy and slicey her game can get, she could beat anyone. And so I'm very much looking forward to seeing her hopefully come up against a fun seed uh, in the near future. In terms of the rest of the men's results today, Jamie, as I mentioned at the top, we had a bunch of five-set battles. We already talked about uh, Hercats versus Sandgren, but some of the other ones that got exciting. Struff, uh, a really good battle with him. A match Tiafo probably should have won in four sets. He had set point in set number two. He uh, got that one to a breaker, but Struff ultimately able to come back in this one, three six seven six six three six seven six three to advance to round number two. Some of the other three setters I mentioned it: Giustino eighteen sixteen over Mute, Senego six three over former USC standout Emilio Gomez, and then Daniel Galan the qualifier a win for him six one in the fifth over former TCU All American Cam Nori. Your thoughts on the battles we saw today, Jamie? Unfortunate to see for Nori. Um, that would be my number one. You know, he's had a really strong U.S. Open campaign, at least to start with a win over Diego Schwartzman. Um, and, and coming out of the gate in this match, he got out to a hot start in set number one. Um, he ultimately ends up winning set number one there. You know, he looks like he's in this match um, and then just drops off in sets four and five. Um, six one, six one, only grabs two games in those. So unfortunate to see for him. Um, but it, a good win from Gal- from Galan, I guess. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, Cam Nori, unfortunate to see there because he had a real chance in this one. No, what I would point out, Daniel Galan, Lorenzo Giustino, Hugo Gastan, Sebastian Korda, Yuri Rodionov, Nikola Milojevic, and Daniel Altmaier all getting their first Grand Slam victories uh, with their wins here at this French Open, as we say here at Crack Rackets. Hey, great shot to all of them. I agree with you. They're, they're all fun matches for Nori. Just continues to struggle on Clay. I just don't think he's very comfortable on the surface, but he's definitely got the game, the sort of forehand where you could see that shot getting effective. The backhand just sits, though, right? It's so flat in the center of the court, and Galan was just—he wasn't able to make Galan uncomfortable at all. And so, yeah, again, it was a good match, but credit to Daniel Galan for getting that first win at a slam in his career. In terms of the seeds who had things easier today, Rafael Nadal, Dominic team advancing in straight sets comfortably. Uh, Carino Busta also looked good, coming back from 5-2 down in the third set to beat John Millman. Casper Ruud showing off why we all think so highly of him on the dirt, 3-1 in— th- or th- three and one over Sagita and then Karen Hatchnoff. I'm going to say this. It was a prove it match for me. I was concerned against Matrizak that he was going to have some difficulties, but credit to him, seven, six, six, three, six, three, pulling off that victory in straights. Jamie, your thoughts on the seeds who won uh, today uh, pretty comfortably. Yeah, really good result from Rude. Um, that was really promising. I think the other one for me that I would call out to get through John Millman in these conditions in straight sets is very impressive. So for Karina Busta to back up some of that momentum from the U.S. Open is really promising for me. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And that match ended at like 11.30, maybe Paris time. And so credit to Carino Busta. It doesn't matter when he plays, doesn't matter where he plays. He always shows up and competes hard. In terms of the other winners on the day, great day for the Americans. Tommy Paul, Mackie McDonald, Jack Sock, all victorious. Now Sock, a little American-American crime as he knocked off Opelka. We also had Pierre Uzer-Bear knocking off Michael Moe, who was one of my upset picks on the day. But Air-Bear, just too good. We also got wins from Gaston, Bedell. Pedro Martinez, who I'm telling you, Jamie, third round of the U.S. Open or bust for Martinez. Yuri Vesely, Guido Pea, Albert Ramos, Vinolas, Daniel Eltmeyer, all victors, are all winners. Your thoughts on Monday's victors uh, at this French Open? 
Yeah, I think the one, Jack Sock over Opelka for me, I'm not surprised that Opelka wasn't able to impose his huge game, particularly on the clay and, you know, take it to another level in these conditions. But, you know, great for Jack Sock to take advantage of this. Obviously, he's somebody who's very comfortable on clay. It can just, it can do magical things with that forehand of his and the RPMs he puts on it. So, Eager to see him hopefully capitalize on a result like that. Um, you know, I, again, you mentioned it. We love seeing the American wins there. Um, I'm a bit bummed that my uh, Ramos Vinolas and Manorino match didn't at least have a bit more traction to it. Oh um, my I expected God. Ramos Vinolas yeah. to win because he was a better version of Manorino, but unfortunate that he won in straight sets and the third set was six. So that kind of hurts it was, me. It was an ace of the day. I was like, there's no way either of these guys can beat the other one in straight sets. I was like, it's just not going to happen. There's no way this match doesn't go four, or there's no way this match isn't the match that keeps everyone on the grounds until 3.30 a.m. in the morning because they're just grinding the night away and that didn't happen at all uh so hey great shot to me uh but yeah I I think to your point if Jack Sock didn't play Dominic team in his next match I would pick him probably against I would say I'd pick him against 50 of the other players left in the round of 64 I feel that good about him right now I think he's as fit as he has ever been I think the the slowness of this surface he's just able to find a forehand whenever he'd like and he's clearly a sneaky good mover on clay it's why it's the uh, surface with his highest win percentage in his career I just love how locked in this Jack Sock is. You're like man if this Jack Sock was 23 years old do you know how excited I'd be for the next five years yeah, no, absolutely. And, and to be fair, yeah, I mean, a, a horrible matchup coming up next in Dominic team for him. For me, though, capitalizing on this win over Opelka doesn't mean coming up with a crazy upset over Dominic team. If Sock yeah. can make a stand, make this a respectable match, and perhaps grab a set, that to me is really, really promising. And that's all I need to see for him. Yeah, I just want no more than one break of serve per set. Don't get broken more than once. If he beats you 4-4-4, four, four, and yeah. four, so be it. Or 4-5-6, and six, whatever. Straight sets, that's fine. Just protect your serve because he's one of those few guys, again, who can hit through this surface. Doesn't matter how slow it's playing. But you know who else is that guy? Dominic team. So yeah, that is going to be a hard hitting match. That is not a day three match. And in fact, no second round matches on day three. The French Open playing a three day first round format. It's a format we have talked about before on this podcast, the pros, the cons of it. I will always recommend go read Matt Zemek, who puts a lot of thought into the way Grand Slams can be most optimally scheduled. And I have to say, I'm a fan of this. It just gives you leeway, gives you protection in case there's early rain or in case whatever may happen uh, or later on in the event, but we don't have to talk about that right now. The point being, day three going to feature a bunch of more first round matches, 20 men's singles matches, 20 women's singles matches, and of course, men's doubles kicking off as well on the day. Jamie, let's start with the women's singles matches. Give me the ones you will be most glued to. Yeah, I think it's one that we both talked about um, on our preview. I think Ostapenko against Bringle is going to be really interesting. Um, just because for me, that section of the draw, whoever wins out of that gets to test a high seed in Pliskova, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So I think that one's going to be very, very interesting. And, and again, telling for the rest of the draw. Sabalenka Pagula is another one that I think you just have to watch um, if you have the ability to watch tennis tomorrow. I'd say those two would be the ones to circle. If Ostapenko loses tomorrow, it's because she's missing returns 12 feet behind the baseline. On these courts, the Madison Bringle second serve is literally just going to say, hey, Elena, you want to hit me for a winner? And she's, if she wants to on the day, if she is locked in from start to finish playing to good margins, she's going to have so much success on her return of serve tomorrow against Bringle. I just, I don't see a world where Bringle does any dictating in this match. And it's just harder to play that sort of defensive tennis on clay than it is on a hard court. And so I think that's a match. Ostapenko's got to win. Uh, yeah, Sabalenka Pagula, obviously that's must-watch tennis. Farrow versus Heather Watson. Fiona Farrow, I think a sneaky candidate to do pretty well here at this French Open. She won the event in Palermo, 23 years old. All of the signs you want for a player hitting their stride. She has uh, met all of those benchmarks. Uh, I'd also throw in Gerges Risk. That's fun. Martic versus Doi. Uh, that is fun. But a bunch of good women's matches again as they finish out the first round. When you look at the men's matches, tomorrow jamie who are you going to be watching most closely 
Yeah, there's a couple that stand out. I mean, look, I'll try and watch all of them as much as I can. Um, I think one for me right off the bat is Berrettini and Pospisil. Um, I think Berrettini, I have pretty high expectations for. Um, he can do a lot of dangerous things. I think he's looking really fit right now. So he's going to be dangerous, but you know, a guy who can be dangerous on any given day and as was shown in that U.S. Open run, Vasek Pospisil. So I think that one's got Blockbuster written all over it. I think Sitsipas and Munar is one. You know, Obviously, we both talked about that in our preview, but a guy like Sitsipas, who we saw some great tennis. You know, ultimately, he fell to Rublev, but he's going up against a clay court specialist in Munar. Um, so that one's going to be a really, really nice test. I'd say those two are my ones to circle on the men's side. Yeah, those are both good ones. See, I, I had Berrettini. Well, I don't have that on my list, but I had Berrettini Pospisil in my ace of the day on two separate things. I had it under three and a half sets because I was like, man, like Berrettini with his comfort on this surface, he really should win this match. Even if it's five, six, and six, he really should win this match in straight. So I was like, but. They also shouldn't be breaking serve that frequently, and the way you know these balls are staying low, Pospisil is going to be able to serve big to that Berrettini backhand the entire time. I was like, this is a match that should also be over thirty-one and a half games, and I was like, can I really hit the over thirty-one and a half games while also thinking it should be a straight set match? And so ultimately, I was like, no, those two things are in conflict. I'm just going to stay away from this one. But yeah, I think that's a funky matchup as well. A couple of prove it matches for me just to see where they are heading into this one. You know, Christian Guerin versus Cole Schreiber, Dennis Shapovalov versus Jill Simone. Again, if this was 2015, Cole Schreiber and Simone should be winning these matches. It's not anymore. It's 2020. These are matches both Guerin and Shapovalov should win and should win comfortably. So I'm going to be watching for those performances. I also think Montiero should beat Basilashvili tomorrow, but if he doesn't, that section of the draw is kind of open for Basilashvili to make a third, you know, uh, maybe even a fourth round if things break right. And then, you know, query, uh, you know, see. Tsitsipas and Rublev, I just want to see how they recover from Hamburg. I'm sure they'll look fine, but I'll be watching closely anyways. Uh, But regardless, it's going to be a really fun day of action. Of course, if you want to hear our picks for tomorrow's matches, be sure to go check out the GSP Ace of the Day, which you can find on the Great Shot podcast feed, as well as our YouTube channel and on our social media, uh, various social media channels as well. Uh, Of course, you can play along with us by going to dkng.co slash cracked open, so be sure to check out all of that. Uh, It's going to be a really fun day. We will be back here tomorrow to recap all of the Day 3 action, to preview Day 4's matches as well. And of course, if you have missed anything from this French Open, be sure to go check out our website, CrackedRackets.com, for the more immediate updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, it's at CrackedRackets. Shout out, as always, by the way, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an ending job they do day in, day out. Shout out as well. I forgot to say this at the top. I blame the hunger from Yom Kippur. Uh, but shout out to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar. Be sure for all of your equipment needs to turn to our friends at Midwest Sports, whether it be rackets, whether it be clothing, shoes, you name it, they've got it. Their experts can help you find exactly what you're looking for as well. So be sure to go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 for the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. Go to Aerobar.com. You use that promo code CRACK15, not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off your order as well. And shout out again to those two who make it possible for us to recap all of the action each and every day. With that in mind, Jamie, any final thoughts on day two of this French Open? No. I'm good, honestly. <laughs> I got everything I wanted to out of this. Look, we recorded. It was under an hour. I mean, granted, look, we could still talk for another eight minutes and get over that hour mark, but I'm good. It was under an hour. We hit every match. Um, respectable analysis, even on the ones that we couldn't go into a full breakdown. I'm happy. <laughs> well, that's ultimately what I'm looking for, Jamie, trying to make you happy. If you're willing to make me happy by letting me call the episode Hungry for Anything But Good Tennis, I am happy to end it before we hit the hour mark. So with that in mind for my wonderful co-host, James Foster McDonald, our super producers, Max Flagner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.